You're listening to Code Switch. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. And I'm Gene Demby. So over the last year, we've watched this heated fight over the Dakota Access Pipeline. That, of course, is the oil pipeline that would cut through the Great Plains, including land in North and South Dakota, land near the Standing Rock Indian Reservation. The folks protesting the pipeline say that its construction violates ancestral Native claims to those same lands. And Gene, the images from those protests are unforgettable. Mm-hmm. Native youth on horseback, fists in the air, Law enforcement in riot gear, tear gassing demonstrators, um, huge crowds camped out in freezing weather. Those protest signs that read, water is sacred, water is life. Those images are burned in my brain. Yeah, and the fight over the pipeline is probably the most visible example of some really old tensions between Native tribes and their treaty rights in Indian country in that part of the West. And that's what we're digging into in this episode, the ongoing fights over some of these treaties that were written 150 years ago in some cases. But today we're not talking about oil and water. We're talking about bison and elk and treaty-reserved hunting rights. Those are the hunting and fishing rights established through old treaties, and the rules can be totally different than the ones non-tribal members have to follow. So in some cases, Gene, the tribes have longer hunting seasons, Mm -hmm. or they can take more animals per person. And some non-tribal members say, that's just not fair, and the tribes are totally exploiting their treaty rights. So we're going to go out to the West to visit with one tribe that's fighting over this very thing. And to help us with that, we are tagging in Montana Public Radio's Nate Hedgie. Nate, welcome to Code Switch. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, Nate, this is very complicated. So can you just give us like a base layer, the foundation? Yeah, yeah, sure. So people in Montana have been hunting these animals since time immemorial. I mean, bison sustained entire cultures before white settlers arrived. And when those settlers arrived, what they needed was land. But there were millions of people already living there. Right. And as we know, thus began the mass removal, relocation, and restriction of Native Americans here. And this was done through war, ethnic cleansing, and a lasting legacy of treaties. And these treaties are like contracts. And while they swiped a lot of land from the tribes, they also reserved certain rights for them. But we also know so often the rights established by these old treaties have been ignored or taken away altogether, especially when white settlers stumble upon valuable natural resources on Native land. Yeah. So I I spoke with Monty Mills, a professor of Indian law at the University of Montana, who told me there's this long and dark history of broken treaties in the United States. Um, One example is the Nez Perce tribe in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Montana. In 1860, gold was found on the Nez Perce reservation. So the government wrote up a new treaty that claimed 90% of that reservation for white settlers. That's over 5 million acres. But something that wasn't taken away was the right to hunt off reservation. And Nate, you met up with some Nez Perce folks after a hunt to talk about treaties and hunting today in the modern West. I did. And as you guys always like to say, it's really complicated. I'm at the boundary of Yellowstone National Park near Gardner, Montana. It's mid-morning, the sun's streaming down from behind the mountains, and there's a dead bison at my feet. The animal smells musky, like the smell from rubbing an old penny between your fingers. There's blood on the grass and rocks, and Lewis Thomas Holt is sweating as he cuts at the shoulder with a knife. Right now I'm just cutting off the brisket. His long hair is tucked underneath a floppy camo hat and he's got a faint mustache. I ask him if this feels like tedious work, field dressing a bison he shot a couple of hours ago. No, it doesn't. It's, if you, you know, doing from what we were taught in the past from, you know, my uncle's father, grandfather, all of this stuff that we were taught as young, young boys, young men, it's really easy. It makes it easy. Holt is one of 3,500 members of the Nez Perce tribe. 
He lives on a small reservation in Idaho, and he hunts both bison and elk here in Montana because it's his tribe's treaty right. In exchange for giving up most of their homeland in the mid-1800s, the Nez Perce signed treaties with the U.S. government reserving their right to hunt and fish on some of that land. This includes the area around Yellowstone, one of the last places in the U.S. where wild bison still roam. You know, we've been doing this for thousands of years, and this is what keeps it going. You know, it's for our culture, it's for our people. Something that we've been doing, it's our treaty, it's our right. Holt's hunting party traveled a long ways to get here. It's a 10-hour drive across mountain passes and pothole-pitted two-lane highways. More of a slog, really. Once when I was driving it, I had to turn around because a rock slide wiped up part of the road. But Holt made it, and his hunting party killed three bison this morning. A teenager is skinning the hide off one while another bison lays in the grass, eyes open. They'll use the meat for meals, funeral services, ceremonies, and Holt wants to try tanning the bison's hide. But right now he's leaning up against his pickup truck and chewing on a granola bar. And he tells me there's a feeling here, like they're being watched. I mean, I'm always looking over my shoulder, seeing if there's somebody across the road watching, um, you know. But yeah, I always feel feel scrutinized, definitely. Scrutinized by whom? Just the passerbyers, you know, the state of Montana, you know, however, you know, just... How do you think those people feel about you guys hunting here? Well, they don't like it, I know that. I mean, they definitely, some people love it and like what we're doing and agree with it, but there's others that don't share that same opinion. That's because sometimes these hunts don't go so well. The five buffalo that were wounded, actually, I'll show you where it happened at. So I'm coming up right here. I'm in a truck with Jared Rickman, a Nez Perce Tribal Conservation Enforcement Officer. He's a game warden. It's like a cop for hunters, and he looks the part. He's a big guy with a shaved head and the body of a former MMA fighter. That's because he is one. And recently, his tribe has been accused of unethical hunting. Trespassing onto private property, shooting and wounding animals, stabbing a bison in the neck. So now Rickman is taking me to a spot where one of these incidents occurred. He parks the truck and rolls down a window. The buffalo that were wounded, just to my understanding, they're right here, they were right here along the tree line. Nez Perce once followed bison over thousands of miles, but now this hunt has been squeezed onto a thin sliver of land known as the kill zone. We're looking at it now, and it's not really wild country. I see a massive luxury home with big bay windows, a highway across a river, and we're only a few miles away from the town's high school. But earlier this season, two Nez Perce tribal members shot and wounded seven bison here. The wounded animals then retreated back into Yellowstone where hunting isn't allowed. Two of the bison survived, the rest were put down by state wildlife officials. I wasn't the officer that was present when that happened, but the, the officer that was, that was here, he uh, confiscated their permits. They lose their right to harvest buffalo for the next year. And even though the hunters were in Montana, the state can't really charge them with any violations because their tribe, the Nez Perce, are a sovereign nation. They have a longer hunting season, their own rules and regulations, and their own game wardens. Still, the state of Montana says incidents like this happen far too often. Andrea Jones is a spokesperson for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. We've got shooting across the road. We've got shooting in a safety zone. We've got incidents of trespassing, and that's just one weekend. In mid-February, a group of native teenagers were caught on camera repeatedly stabbing a wounded bull bison in the neck. Their hands were bloody and a couple of the teens were smiling. The photos were posted online and went viral. Jones says at least one of those teens was a member of the Nez Perce tribe. That was corroborated by a number of sources, one of which was a Nez Perce enforcement official on the ground. While the tribe is adamant the teens weren't Nez Perce, Rickman says regardless of their affiliation, those kids didn't do anything wrong. They were trying to finish off an animal that was in the process of trying to get up that wasn't all the way dead. 
and they used whatever tools and means they had, which is with their knives, until the adult individual got up there and um, properly exposed the animal with his rifle. Every hunter at one point in time has run into something like that, whether they whether they're they admit it or not. Rickman himself feels over-scrutinized by government agencies. As we're driving, we pass their trucks parked alongside the highway. The men inside have cowboy mustaches or military crew cuts, and almost all of them wear sunglasses. They're out here. They're, they, they watch us from across the road with spotting scopes. Or they'll come out here and make contact with us. You can't do nothing over here without somebody seeing it. Here's Andrea Jones again. We would scrutinize the same way if it were our hunters on the ground doing this week after week. We certainly would. But it's not their hunters, nor members of the four other tribes that hunt here. Many of these notable instances of poor behavior related to the bison hunt have come from this set of Nez Perce hunters. And while Jones says Montana can't do much about it... We don't just have the Nez Perce hunting on that landscape. We have a limited number of state-licensed hunters, Montana tribal hunters, other treaty tribes. And this behavior carries a very real potential of painting all of them with a negative brush. The Nez Perce say some of these problems, like trespassing, stem from the sheer smallness of the hunting zone. It's a jurisdictional nightmare, with a handful of tribes and four government agencies all wrangling bison and hunters along an 18-mile stretch of land checkerboarded with private property. But there are cultural differences, too. Hazing bison was a traditional method of hunting for the Nez Perce, and Rickman says his tribe doesn't kill for sport. They kill for food. And if you ask majority of the Nez Perce tribal members to come over here, they're coming over here just to, for subsistence purposes only. We're... Um, being able to harvest an animal that used to provide not only shelter for us, but substance through, through its meat, its hide, tools and stuff through the bones. It was stuff that my ancestors were used to be able to use. Bison hide is so thick and well-insulated, snow can't melt when it falls on their back. Their hooves till the earth like spades, powered by a football-sized heart beating at roughly the same speed as our own. They're nearsighted too, so they can't see hunters far away but they can hear gunshots. And during the height of their extermination by white settlers in the 19th century, nearly 5,000 bison died every day until only a handful were left in Yellowstone. And now the edge of this park is a clash of people, animals, and history. Arguments sprout like noxious weeds here. Tribes push for more bison on the landscape while the government rounds up excess bison and ships them to slaughter to protect cattle from disease. Homeowners watch as their fences get knocked down by herds of wayward buffalo while Nez Perce get citations for shooting across roads and wounding animals. And everyone says, we want to come together. Let's solve this. But no one really does. It's like a knot getting tighter as everyone pulls. Here's Andrea Jones again, a spokesperson for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. This is a difficult issue because, number one, you have an iconic species that is watched internationally. It's now our national mammal. And hunting of bison is taken very seriously and watched not just by the authorities. Second, you have sovereign governments working together to make this work for, an, for their respective uh, people. Because of these treaties, not everyone follows the same rules. But what if they did? While Montana would never, ever suggest it? The state is not calling into question any tribe's treaty rights. Some people in Gardner think it might be a good idea. I visit Bill Hoppy on his property overlooking the boundary of Yellowstone National Park. He's wearing a wool hunting cap and he's got a high noon western cowboy squint. 
It's a little windy and cold, but he insists we sit outside on lawn chairs. And he says cultural differences can't explain away the behavior of some Nez Perce hunters, like when they shot and wounded seven bison earlier this season. You should know when you shoot at that first animal, if you didn't kill it, and you didn't kill the second one, and you didn't kill the third one, why do you keep shooting at other ones when you haven't got the first one or two dead? I would say that's unethical. A lot of these conflicts, Hoppy says, could be resolved if everyone just followed the same rules. We all live in the same country. We're all citizens of the same country. They keep talking about they want, they're a sovereign nation. I'll give them that. They can be their sovereign nation on their reservation. But when they come off that reservation, they should abide, abide by all the other regulations. I mean, we don't allow them to drive 100 miles an hour on the highways. Hoppy works as an outfitter, someone who guides big game hunts around the state. And while it's important to note that he doesn't guide hunts near his home, he does make a living off the tightly regulated hunting industry in Montana. And a few weeks ago, he says, tribal members shot and killed four elk near his property. And they shot those elk because they could. And when you talk to them, it seems to me it's kind of a revenge deal. They're still... They still want revenge for the way they were, were treated 150, 200 years ago. How could it be a revenge deal for harvesting elk to feed our families? That's Rickman, the enforcement officer for the Nez Perce tribal members. Seriously. <laughs> I just, you know, if this individual was a set to me, I'd, I'd, I'd look at him like, what are you talking about? I wasn't around back then. And Hoppy says that's his point. Hunting has changed since the treaties were signed, and the laws should follow suit. I mean, my great-great-grandfather was here before they signed the treaty. But that doesn't give me the right, that doesn't give me the right to go hunting anytime, anywhere, uh, kill anything that I want. But the Nez Perce can't kill anything they want. They have rules and regulations and people like Rickman to enforce those rules. And he says there might be something else going on here. Hmm, whatever could that be? Well, this is Code Switch, so stay with us. Support for Code Switch and the following message come from HelloFresh, the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed, along with step-by-step recipes for delicious meals designed to take 30 minutes to make. Everything is delivered in a special insulated box with free shipping, and meals are now less than $10 each. Code Switch listeners can receive $30 off their first week of deliveries. Just visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code SWITCH30 on your first purchase. Thanks for listening to Code Switch. I want to tell you about a new way to get the news each morning. Up first is the morning news podcast from NPR. Give us 10 minutes or so and you get a sense of the stories and big ideas of the day. The stuff you really need to know and why it matters. Start your day with Up First, weekday mornings by 6 a.m. Eastern Time on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we're back with Nate Hedgie of MTPR, Montana Public Radio. He's reporting on the Nez Perce tribe and the conflict over their hunting rights in the 21st century. I'm back in a truck on the border of Yellowstone National Park in Montana with Jared Rickman, the Nez Perce Tribal Conservation Enforcement Officer. And he says there's a quiet undercurrent within this conflict. Everything now is politically correct, where at least back then, the thing I liked about growing up in the 80s and 90s that if someone didn't like you based on your race, you knew there wasn't no hiding behind anything that was, could, could be construed as politically correct or anything. 
Um, back then to me, it seemed like everybody said what they thought and they meant what they said. Bill Hoppy, who lives near Gardner and guides big game hunts around Montana, says racist is a word that's thrown around by some people in frustration. Well, it's just a term that, it's a term that when nothing else works, that's what you yell, I guess. And again, you know, again, I, I am not, I am not racist or prejudiced against the, the tribes. And remember, for Hoppy, a buffalo or an elk is more than an animal. It's his livelihood. And he says if this friction between residents, hunters, and the Nez Perce continues... If it gets worse and worse and worse, you know, it wouldn't be the first treaty that was ever, ever amended or probably broken, taken away. <laughs> uh, but they would say that that legacy is, is a terrible thing, of treaties being broken. Into it is. Way. It is. And those are the, but can you, but can you, if, if, but can you, can the, can the treaty survive the way that it was 150, 160, 200 years ago? How can that treaty survive as we, as people, move on forward? As I'm driving back towards the Buffalo Kill, I see a group of men sitting in a dusty blue Subaru. They volunteer with a Buffalo Field Campaign, an advocacy group that monitors bison near the park. Right now, they're watching a herd move along the river. These volunteers come here to the edge of Yellowstone to protect the bison. There are those that come to hunt the bison and those that come to monitor the hunters. It's a valley full of watchers. And now I'm watching Lewis Thomas Holt cut into a young bull buffalo. I ask him what he thinks about the treaty. You know, the government is what made the treaty. I mean, there's no breaking it. They said for as long as the grass grows and the wind blows and the water flows, you know, that's forever. I mean, it always has been our right and it always will be our right. A little ways away, Tristan Krieger is working on his buffalo. He's a teenager, 15 years old, with an earring and a tattoo on his forearm. He's trying to peel the animal's hide off with his knife and he's not very good at it. Then Rickman, with a half grin, leans over him. Doing all right. Doing all right. You're getting it out. Slowly. Krieger tells me this was one of the first times he'd ever gone hunting for buffalo. So I ask him how it felt. It felt awesome. I got two of them this year. How does this part feel? This part is hard. A lot of work. Time consuming. The American West has changed a lot since Nez Perce followed bison herds across Montana. I see a rifle leaning on a rock, a pickup truck sitting on the road below. We all have cell phones. But some things, the feeling of warm blood on your hands, the smell of sagebrush, an older guy telling a kid, you're doing all right, you're doing all right. Those things will never change. So long as the grass grows and the wind blows and the water flows. Forever. Nate, every episode we ask a guest to name one song that's giving them life right now, and we're listening to your pick. Yeah, the, the song's called The Shape of Things Gone Missing, The Shape of Things to Come by Martha Scanlon, and I had a broken engagement a few months ago, and this song has really helped me power through it. And also, Martha's a friend, and she's from Montana, so I'm totally biased.
That is our show for this week. Follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. We want to hear from you. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. Sammy Yenigan and Walter Ray Watson produced this episode, and we had original music by Ramteen Arablui. And a shout-out to the rest of the Code Switch fam, Leah Danella, Adrian Florido, Karen Grisby-Bates, and Kat Chow. Our intern is George Encinas. Our editor is Juleka Lantigua-Williams. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. Be easy. Peace. One A is NPR's new daily show inspired by the First Amendment. One A is the news with those who make the news, great guests, and topical debate, all framed in ways to make you think and engage. Check out One A with Joshua Johnson from WAMU and NPR on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts.